everyone. This is Emily Kalaszewski, Member Programs Lead at League, and I want to thank you for joining us today. Today's webinar is titled Creating Equity Through Opportunity, CEO Workforce Development. The Center for Employment Opportunities partners with localities to help the government meet its labor needs while increasing employment opportunities for individuals returning from incarceration to the community. This brings a twofold economic and public safety impact, increasing employment prospects and reducing recidivism. Today, we will hear from our partners, the Center for Employment Opportunities, on how their partnership assists those with the most significant barriers to employment. We'll also hear from one of their partner communities, the City of Detroit, on how the partnership has supported the city's needs and created meaningful employment and value for residents across Wayne County. A few notes before we get started. Following the presentation, I will be facilitating a question and answer session with our participants at home. To submit questions, please type them in the chat box. Following today's session, we will also make this PowerPoint presentation available to all of you um, via email and we post it on our website. And now let me formally introduce our speakers today. We have Ashley Blake, Regional Director for the Midwest Center for Employment Opportunities, or the Midwest Regional Director for the Center for Employment Opportunities. Ashley Blake joined the Center for Employment Opportunities in 2018 as their Midwest Regional Director. She supports their Michigan and Ohio teams and ensures that offices are positioned to scale their impact and meet all performance and operational goals. Ashley's work within the justice and workforce systems dates back to 2004. Since that time, she has supported, managed, and scaled programs that address re-entry and employment policies in Michigan, Oregon, and Pennsylvania. Ashley holds a Master of Social Work from the University of Pennsylvania and a Bachelor's in Social Work from Eastern Michigan University. We also have Pamela Lachman, Director for Strategic State Initiatives for the Center for Employment Opportunities. Pam Lachman has spent the last decade working on criminal justice reform across the country. Since joining CEO in 2018 as the Director of Strategic State Initiatives, Pam has focused on establishing government partnerships for CEO and scaling CEO services nationally. Before joining CEO, Pam worked on comprehensive legislative criminal and juvenile justice reform legislation at the Pew Charitable Trust and Crime and Justice Institute, and prior to that, managed a variety of criminal justice research projects at the Urban Institute. She has a master's in public policy from the Harvard Kennedy School and a bachelor's from John Hopkins University. Finally, we also have Michelle Rafferty, Chief Strategy and Operating Officer for Detroit at Work. As Chief Strategy and Operating Officer for Detroit at Work, Michelle Rafferty is responsible for the development and operations of workforce initiatives that equip Detroiters with skills and opportunities that lead to family-sustaining employment. She led the redesign of Detroit's workforce development service delivery system and currently oversees the Detroit at Work Career Center system, training, data analytics, and performance management. Michelle has spent her career creating and launching efforts that strive to reduce unemployment and poverty while promoting racial, socioeconomic equity. She is skilled in strategic planning, leadership, resource development, and project management and has a strong interest in building and sustaining collaborative relationships within and across organizations. Thank you, Ashley, Pamela, and Michelle. I will turn it over to Ashley and Pamela to begin. Thank you so much, Emily. Um, and thank you to everyone who's, who's joined us already. It's great to be here. Um, and uh, I, I'm gonna kick us off um, with the presentation. So let me just share my screen. Great. Can Ashley give me a thumbs up if you can see it? Okay, perfect. Um, it's it's just it's a privilege to be here with everyone today. Um, I uh, Ashley and I and, and Michelle I believe have really been looking forward to this presentation. 
um, and the opportunity to meet all of you. Um, I know, you know, the the context Emily gave at the start of the presentation is really um, about, you know, our interest in, in telling you a little bit our, about our work in Detroit and also nationally, but we're just excited to see, you know, folks across Michigan interested in hearing about workforce development opportunities for people who've, who've recently experienced incarceration and, you know, just very excited to, to contribute to all of the great work that um, that all of you are doing uh, in your communities and, and hope that we can, you know, find, find opportunities for partnership. Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about um, our program, and then Ashley is going to tell you more about our work in Detroit and and our and our um, work in Michigan more broadly. Um, I I think it's just important context for all of you to to understand just just where our mission is, and and it's it's here on the slide. Um, we provide immediate, effective, comprehensive employment services exclusively to individuals who've recently returned home from incarceration. Um, and, and really our vision is that anyone who wants to work, who, who has a criminal record, has the preparation and support needed to find a job and stay connected to the labor force. And really, you know, our belief is, is grounded in, in the desire for people to, to be able to achieve, you know, the, the social and economic mobility um, that, that is, is just absolutely critical when they come home. And, you know, a big, uh, that, that is essentially what our mission is. And um, the, the photo you see here, I just always like to give context, um, is Katie Garcia. This is when she was a restaurant manager in Tulsa, um, but she's now our, our job readiness trainer in our office there. Um, and um, she, like many others um, who've gone through our program, you know, our, our current uh, staff at CEO. And so always, always like to highlight um, that. But uh, to give you a little bit more context on our program, um, you know, we're, our program is, is different than a lot of other workforce development programs because of who we serve. You know, as, as you can tell from our mission, we, you know, we are very intentional about engaging those who have some of the most significant barriers to employment when they come home. Um, and some data from our program nationally shows, you know, the, the, essentially all of our participants have experienced incarceration vast majority are under some form of community supervision when they come to our program. So either, you know, parole or probation supervision typically. Um, most have not had any sort of advanced higher education opportunities um, and really only half have a, a high school diploma or GED. Um, very few have prior work experience. Um, and then, you know, in, in, their, in their lives, they're, they're, they're often young. Um, when they come home, we, we define young adults as um, 18 to 30. Um, but many are parents and sometimes, you know, full-time parents, sometimes non-custodial parents, um, and, and the vast majority of our participants are, are people of color and in Detroit in particular, um, the vast majority are, are black men. And we, we really do see our work as, as very much racial justice work and work that is, you know, intentional about engaging those who, um, you know, have the, the opportunity and, and desire to, to work when they come home. And that's, that, that's, that's very much our program model. Um, but it gives you a sense of, of the extent to which, you know, people, you know, need support um, to get connected to the workforce, particularly if they've never worked before. And that's, that's what our program model is designed to do. Um, so, so what is our program? Um, we, uh, again, are sort of are, are different than many other workforce development programs in that, you know, our model is really centered around immediate work. Um, so as soon as people come home, they can come to CEO. Um, go through a brief job readiness training, which lasts up to a week. And the, the intent of that training is to provide some initial kind of, um, you know, work-based learning work uh, experience uh, 
job readiness skills, but it's really to get people I-9 compliant and ready to work because as soon as they complete that training, we hire them. And it's really that um, immediate employment that is the core of our model, um, which, is, which is a transitional job. So this is work that is very much designed to be a transition. Um, it's work that um, Ashley's gonna give you a lot more context on when she describes our work in Detroit in terms of what that looks like um, with local partnerships, but it's designed to give people immediate work experience where they're paid every day and get that immediate income that's really critical when they come home. Um, but also it's, it's done under supervision of a site supervisor and in a crew-based setting. So just some of the, the kind of work skills that come from working on a team, that come from working with um, someone who can really mentor and provide feedback, as well as transportation to and from the job site. That's the intent of the transitional employment model in our program. It's, it's really the core of our program. So while folks are working for us, they're working uh, typically four days a week. And then on the fifth day is when they engage in our vocational services. So they come home for, um, they come home and are, um, you know, working for us. They, they have a lot of barriers that they need to address. Um, and that's where our job coach, um, our job coaching services focus. You know, what are the things that are going to prevent you from being successful in full-time employment, whether that's transportation, childcare, if there's other needs people are experiencing with stable housing, anything that's gonna be a barrier we wanna to try to address before we start searching for a full-time job. And when people are ready, they connect with the business account manager um, who helps them find um, opportunities for full-time employment in the community. And at that point, when they find full-time employment, they're no longer working for a CEO, um, but we support them for up to a year in our retention services. And that's really where we see a lot of opportunity for further um, training and supports that can really help people advance in their careers. That first job people get is often not, you know, it's, it's that first step on the ladder and they need additional um, education and training often to, to advance in their careers. And we're able to stay connected to people and help them connect to that training during that time. Um, we can often offer stipends to people while they're, um, while they're working to participate in that training and um, it's, it's really an opportunity for career advancement. So that in a nutshell is our program. Um, I should mention we're a, we're a national nonprofit and we're, we operate in 11 states and 30 cities. And we run this program with fidelity in all of our locations. And that's very important um, to our model. Um, but in each city, we partner with different, um, we have different partners and, and often different government partners to help us um, engage in this work. And, and Ashley's going to tell you a bit more about what that looks like in Detroit. Um, I'll just give you a little bit of context on our evaluation uh, evidence. We, our program has been very rigorously evaluated and shown to both um, reduce recidivism, that's what you see on this slide, um, in, the, in the long term, this is three years after release from incarceration, relative to individuals who go through the traditional workforce system. And we've also more recently had some evidence that demonstrates a long-term impact on employment. So this, these are the employment rates for individuals who um, have gone through CEO again in comparison to individuals who haven't. Um, and uh, we see a 52% increase um, 12 months um, after release and 48% increase uh, three years out. So it's, it's really important for us to see that kind of long-term employment impact of our program. And um, we're one of the few um, re-entry employment programs that has actually sort of demonstrated a strong evidence base for our work. So we're very proud of that. 
um, with that, I am going to turn it over to Ashley, who's going to talk more about our work in Michigan. Um, and Ashley, I'll, I'll keep sharing the slides, but pass it to you. Yeah. Thank you, Pam. And I just want to echo your earlier sentiment. I'm also really happy to be here and to connect with you all today and are looking forward to some good questions, hopefully later on. But with that being said, let's talk a little bit more about our work in Detroit. We launched our office here in summer 2018. After about a year of prospecting locally and garnering support from city government, uh, Michigan Department of Corrections, and a few other key stakeholders. I also um, just want to give a shout out to um, the Greenlight Fund, who I, I think is in attendance today. They've been a key supporter of ours here in the state, so we, we appreciate them. Um, since our launch, we have enrolled 221 individuals into our program and have worked towards an average wage goal of minimally $13.50, but we're actually currently sitting at $13.97, which we're really pleased with. So that's that's the component, one component of our, of our placement work is to ensure that everyone is moving in to uh, a minimal average wage that, that moves them towards a living wage. We're also really encouraged by some of the initial recidivism data that uh, is showing, at least in 2020, that only 7.7% of CEO Detroit participants uh, recidivated since launch or since we started serving them. And that percentage is significantly lower than the national average. So again, pleased to see that our work is, is supporting individuals and stabilizing when they're coming home. A couple more key components about our work here in Detroit, we have really strong transitional work partnerships with the land bank and with DESC, which uh, I'll talk about a little bit more momentarily. CEO Detroit is also a SNAP ENT provider, uh, which allows us to leverage federal funding that both supports our employment services through a 50-50 reimbursement program, and it helps bring dollars to the state. So it's really a win-win, which is great. And then lastly, we've leveraged philanthropic funding as well as a performance-based contract with DOC to provide a range of vocational services for CEO Detroit participants. Next slide. Okay, so we want to touch more on how partnering with CEO is a commitment to inclusivity, um, and I'm going to get into the nitty gritty of that transitional employment partnership that, that I referenced earlier. Um, but before I dig in there, I did want to highlight just a couple of key benefits associated with CEO's transitional employment model. The first being that we provide daily pay to all of our participants. Um, we know that that pay structure helps folks um, that are coming home earn an immediate income and rapidly attach to the workforce, which is huge. Um, second benefit is that transitional employment also acts as sort of highly accessible and supportive on-the-job training. Pam mentioned that earlier, um, that we really see prepare participants for permanent full-time work in the community. And then the last benefit is that our CEO crews also provide a valuable service to our partners in a variety of industries, um, essentially ensuring that CEO can help meet a triple bottom line. Next slide. 
Okay. So let's talk a little bit more um, about these transitional employment partnerships. I'm going to start with an overview of our work with the land bank. We began this partnership in 2009, I believe. Um, and in terms of scope, our, our contract is really centered around property preservation services, which include clean outs, blight removal, board ups, etc. It also includes landscaping work orders. So that's all, all rolled into to the RFP. Um, funding comes directly from the land bank um, with their board approval. The board has been very happy with our partnership, which we're grateful for. We're currently sitting at a cost of about 130,000 for, for one year, which is a bit low for cruise services, but um, you know, we, we appreciate our partnership with the land bank. And so we've continued to move forward and, and work with them. In terms of the configuration, um, we have one crew moving of five individuals and one site supervisor. So again, as Pam mentioned, um, that, that full-time site soup is a key component of all of our transitional work crews that we are running. Um, we are also working for the land bank five days a week. So we are out there Monday through Friday getting it done. And like I mentioned, uh, we were able to procure this contract just through a traditional RFP process. They, they bid out the work um, and, and we submit our responses. So we're always happy to do that. Um, okay, let's talk a little bit more about our partnership with the city of Detroit because we're really excited about it. Um, it's a new crew for us that has just deepened the relationship with the city. So we were already working um, with a few different departments uh, in a few different capacities. We are already connected to DESC through our SNAP ENT contract, but these new crews have, have sort of launched us into a new space, which is great. So here are the specifics. Um, in terms of scope, uh, we are focused on landscape management and establishment in Fitzgerald, which is one of Detroit's sort of identified strategic neighborhoods. Um, and what that means is it's, it's one of the neighborhoods here where public and private investment has come together to essentially support multifaceted improvements. Um, so specific to Fitzgerald, a piece of that is the installation of seven meadows um, and then ongoing maintenance of 90 lots as well. Um, funding source for this partnership came via a grant through the Reimagining Civic Commons initiative. So this is essentially a national initiative that is centered on transforming public spaces. Um, and so their funding has supported this work. It is then administered by DESC with the support of the, of the city's planning department who, who helped to sort of collaborate here and, and bring everyone together. So really grateful for them. Cost-wise, we are looking at about $350,000 over two years with an option to renew. So we launched in October 2020 with one crew. Uh, we just added a second crew at the end of March. And, you know, we will see if, if a third crew is, is needed. Um, but both of those crews, again, five individuals per crew, one site suit per crew, working five days a week getting it done. And the procurement process was um, actually kind of a really critical component of this partnership because it essentially structured 
um, the, the procurement process as a targeted RFP for the full scope of both um, the work and the services, meaning the bid was specific to groups that could A, complete the work, right? Uh, maintain the lots, install the meadows, um, but that also um, allowed groups who were bidding to employ or support returning citizens in doing that work. And then the last sort of piece of that, of that targeted component was that folks were, groups were required to offer related vocational services. So um, we can talk a little bit more um, later on, but this is one way that we have seen cities opt into partnerships with CEO is for them to structure um, their RFPs essentially targeted towards groups who can meet both the work scope um, and who are also providing inclusive hiring opportunities. So let's do next slide. Um, uh, we wanted to, you know, not just highlight our partnerships locally, but provide a few other examples of our work with municipalities related to overall work crew services that CEO can offer. So you can see here outdoor services, indoor services that we provide. But while you're taking a look at that, I, I also wanted to uh, give you guys uh, some updates on where else we're working. So one partnership we wanted to highlight is in San Diego, where we are now 10 years deep into a partnership that includes not just the city of San Diego, but also the cities of Chula Vista and Escondido. Um, and eventually, um, because this partnership again uh, launched 10 years ago, eventually Caltrans, which is the state transportation agency, also opted in to this partnership. So scope of work-wise, we're providing vegetation management, litter abatement, and dumping services to all four of these groups. And the partnership has been phenomenal because it's allowed us to scale from what was initially 150 individuals annually, all of whom are on county probation and who were recently released, to over a thousand participants now annually spread across 15 different crews. So just a wonderful example of how, you know, we're able to start small, make sure everyone's comfortable with the partnership. And once folks see it going well, we can, we can build from there. So um, just also wanted to know that this is a performance-based contract with, with individual payment amounts connected to milestones as well. We also wanted to highlight our partnership with the city of Memphis. So, <clears throat> excuse me, we're currently in the second year of a two-year pilot there. And this partnership was funded through both their workforce and their city parks department, which is great. Um, and it's allowing us to serve about 50 people annually, again, all of whom were recently released, um, with actually a particular focus on younger adults who are age 18 to 30, excuse me. Um, payment structure wise also based on participant outcomes. So happy to talk more about that if, if folks have questions. Okay. So in continuing with the theme of what CEO can offer in terms of our crew partnerships, we just wanted to highlight a few more things. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, our crew model ensures daily and timely staffing, which is critical. Our contract structure saves our partners both um, time and money because of the way we sort of do our all-in pricing, so to speak. And lastly, um, every CEO crew, like we have mentioned, includes a CEO site supervisor who provides that supervision, who acts as a, um, a point of contact around quality assurance, and who can essentially just 
further ensure that satisfaction is really there as it relates to our partnership. So it's our site supervisors and then local program directors who are sort of having that regular face-to-face with our, with our crew partners, but we find that they really appreciate that support from CEO. Okay. And then finally, before we turn it over um, to Michelle, we just kind of wanted to take a moment to note a few ways that state and local government can support efforts in inclusive hiring and inclusive partnerships. So, you know, the first is through American Rescue Plan funds, um, which are plentiful um, and can be used to fund this work, uh, particularly given that it aligns with commitments to, you know, rebuild the economy through workforce development efforts, a focus on infrastructure, which oftentimes aligns with the scope of work that we're doing. So this feels like a really um, timely way for folks to advocate for similar partnerships. Secondly, um, you know, everyone can do their part in encouraging state investment and support of evidence-based programs that serve individuals who are recently coming home. Um, we know that that is such a critical time for folks. Um, you know, if you can connect, you can get folks partnered up, um, working, connected to other services. It makes a huge difference in terms of not just their stability, but overall public safety in the community as well. Um, and then lastly, you know, state and local governments can definitely explore opportunities to actually leverage existing funds within their departmental budgets to um, both intentionally provide the inclusive hiring employment opportunities to this specific population, but also meet their ongoing labor and work scope needs. So um, it's not always about reinventing the wheel in terms of finding new funding sources. That's great. Um, that's a component of, of what we're doing in our work and advocacy. But sometimes it's also just a matter of kind of looking to see where existing budgets are at. And is there a way to just be more intentional with, with those? funds. So I think that's it for us. Um, I know I kind of rolled through a lot of that. We wanted to make sure um, Michelle has her time as well, but looking forward to answering any questions that folks might have at the end. Michelle, I think whenever you're ready. Yeah, um, good afternoon, everyone. I believe that Kristen's going to share my slides. Thank you, Kristen. So first, I just want to say I'm really happy to be on this panel today and to have the chance to talk about how, um, how CEO has been an important partner for us in Detroit. And um, also just want to take the opportunity to share with, with you all, since there's um, other, you know, there's obviously municipalities on, on the call, just how we're approaching workforce development in Detroit. And then if you don't mind, just going to um, brag a little bit about some of the outcomes that we've achieved over the past years and, and would be happy to, to talk more offline with anyone who might be um, interested. So uh, the first thing I would say is that CEO um, has been an organization that I've actually personally been aware of for a long time. When I first got into workforce development, about 15 years ago, I, I remember going on a site visit for looking at best practices, and we visited the CEO in, in New York City, and I was just really blown away by the model by the way that um, the organization had found a way to very successfully help people returning from, from prisons to get, engage in work. And so I definitely encourage anyone on the call here who's thinking about how they can better um, assist their communities, especially those returning from prison to get re-engaged that the CEO is, is definitely a, a model worth checking out. Um, and then for us here in Detroit now, now that we're in, I'm, I'm in a different role here, 
Uh, it's been great to partner with CEO um, and the work that they just described. And you'll see when I talk about our local strategy, it, it, there's this perfect alignment in, in multiple ways. We have a lot of great partners we work with in the city and CEO certainly um, is, is uh, amongst that group. So um, let me just provide some context first on, um, on our organization and to, to give you some, um, some more background here. So in the city of Detroit, the uh, Mayor's Workforce Development Board is, uh, is appointed by Mayor Duggan. And the Mayor's Workforce Development Board, for those of you familiar with workforce development, it's the official um, workforce investment board that, is, uh, that oversees the largest source of federal funds for workforce develop development through the Workforce Innovation Opportunity Act. And so that, that federal act actually says you have to have the local elected official appoint a board and our board is um, made up of uh, really amazing engaged leaders. So we have C-suite leaders from a range of the uh, high growth businesses in the city. It's co-chaired, our board's co-chaired by two really engaged great leaders, um, business leaders, Cindy Paskey, who's president and CEO of Strategic Staffing Solutions and Dave Meter, who's CEO of, D of, of DTE. And in addition to, to those leaders, we have strong representations from unions, from, um, from post-secondary institutions, including Wayne State University, Wayne County Community College District, and other uh, community-based organizations and social service agencies. And so uh, this board is responsible for overseeing and for setting the, the strategy and direction for workforce development in the city. And Nicole Sherrard Freeman is the group executive who sits in the mayor's office, who is appointed by the mayor. And Nicole, uh, most more recently effective in January, was actually asked to take on economic development in addition to workforce development. So this is incredibly exciting um, for, for, um, for all of us and, and for the city of Detroit, because uh, now what we're able to do is really think about how we can better connect our economic development strategy with our workforce development strategy. And Nicole's in particular is you know, very passionate about that and has some great ideas. So we have uh, uh, you know, Detroit Economic Growth Corporation, um, Detroit Employment Solutions Corporation is, is uh, the counter, the sister agency. And we also have at the mayor's office, the jobs and economy team. So it's a, a complicated structure, but there's a lot of uh, benefit from that because we have a wide range of different organizations and leaders who are focused on, on strategy and implementation for the city. So the Mayor's Workforce Development Board is, is one of two boards that are really key for overseeing workforce development. The other is um, also appointed by the Mayor's work, by the Mayor, by Mayor Duggan, and that's the Corporate Board for Detroit Employment Solutions Corporation. So um, that's you know, the place where I work and I'm in a role where I'm, I'm working both as staff to the board as well as in the Chief Operating Officer role for, for DESC. So I'm sure that was very clear to everyone, but I think it is just important. It, it you know, might be of interest to you all who have that um, might have a similar or completely different structure for your workforce development dollars. Um, we can move on to the next slide, please. So um, this is the bragging part. So we are very, very proud of um, what's been accomplished in the city of Detroit. Over the last five years, we've actually led the nation in poverty reduction. Uh, about five, six years ago now, we were, the city has, Detroit's been at the top of, of the list, the list that you don't want to be at the top of in terms of having the highest poverty rate. And so we actually have dropped, the poverty rate has dropped from 40% to 30% in the last five years. 
which is a huge, huge, incredible accomplishment. 30% is way too high, you know, far higher than, than we want to be. But the fact that we were able to, to, to drop that much, we are now really focused on and believing in the, the possibility of us getting our rate down um, to 20% and being on par with some of our surrounding suburban um, communities where, you know, there, there isn't that, that, that uh, there's been, in Detroit, we've had to face a stigma of, of having it be a place where businesses don't want to locate and that this really has changed a lot in such an exciting way over the past five years. And it's, we are now, it's now, you know, a great place to be. And one of the ways that we are really promoting Detroit as a great place to be is, is through our workforce. And so we, you know, would like to think that Detroit at Work helped contribute to this, this change. And you can see on the right part of the slide here that we have really focused a lot on training and on um, connecting people to jobs, including as many of you um, have probably, you know, heard about, we helped Detroit residents, nearly 4,000 get offers with jobs at, with FCA. And many of those people have already started working. And that's in addition to thousands of others that we've, we've helped. Uh, so in terms of our strategy, if you can go to the next slide, please. We launched a, um, a new strategy that we're calling the People Plan that was launched at the end of 2020. And the People Plan is really focused on racial equity, something that we have been focused on, that Detroit in particular has been focused on for a long time, but we are you know, much more bringing that to the forefront and um, measuring it more closely and thinking even more critically about what types of interventions, training, workforce services, and economic development efforts is it gonna to take to truly move the needle on racial equity in terms of how we measuring that in terms of access to opportunity, um, looking at income gaps, the wealth gap, um, gaps in educational attainment. This is what we think about and are focused on every day. And uh, we have three different goals um, that we've had for um, that we've been, you know, focusing on increasing residential employment and reducing poverty now since the board was receded back in 2015. And now we're also, we have added a third goal, improving economic mobility. So the people plan, the strategy that we have builds off of and leverages the career center system. We have uh, moved from three to nine career centers. So we have a really great system in the city for people to be able to access our services. And then now what we're looking at is how do we invest in more evidence-based services. So the work of CEO is really aligned with our with all of these goals, but in particular, the increasing re residential employment is really focused on for those individuals who have had a hard time attaching to the workforce, which includes you know, many people who are coming out of, of prison. Uh, it's about investing in models like CEO, um, transitional jobs models that, that really emphasize rapid reattachment to the workforce. And with an understanding that just connecting someone to a job when someone is facing poverty or facing barriers like having a criminal background, that is not gonna be sufficient to help them have long-term success. You really need that more intensive support, wraparound support, helping them address um, the different issues that stand in their way, which it's, for some people, it, it actually requires having someone on site that is with them in, in a workplace environment, which is, again, this is the CEO group model and others use this as well as having someone on site that's helping that person navigate issues at the work site. So that's really important when you're talking about helping to break generational poverty and really make a difference and help people get on that pathway to longer term success. Um, and then we're also doing, we don't have time to go into all, all of this and we certainly don't need to, but the people plan also includes 
a focus on helping to increase the number of Detroiters who have their high school diploma or equivalent. There's about 80,000 Detroiters over at the age of 25 who do not have a high school diploma or equivalent. So we launched a major initiative that is focused on that. And then uh, to improve economic mobility, we're expanding um, access to, to occupational training, short-term job training that results in a credential of significant value where people can make uh, $15 to $20 an hour, at, you know, at least some people, we have some programs that result in higher wages. And then we um, just want to work with individuals, uh, you know, after they get that job for, for at least a year, helping them move along that, that career, career pathway. So where I just would close it is that I think that um, would strongly encourage uh, those of you who might be looking at innovative ways of of doing work in your city. This, I think what, the, what we've learned in working with CEO is that um, by combining um, actually like doing work, being a contractor, bidding on work that cities or counties already need to get done, having organizations who have the expertise to work with people who, um, to make sure that people can stay on the job and do well. It's really um, not to use an overplayed phrase, a win-win situation because you're able to really um, get work done in a way that is is more productive in your city or, or, or your county that lowers the reten turnover and, and retention issues that can be very costly while also helping people, your, your residents, get on a pathway to being even more productive and successful. So right now, actually, in preparation for thinking about the American Rescue Plan funds and other stimulus funds coming in, we are right now exploring how can we, as the city of Detroit, um, expand that and really thinking differently, and not just about this as a social social service program, but as a as, as a, a sustainable model for for just you know providing better services to your your city or county residents and helping people with their their career goals. So I feel like I've definitely talked enough, and I will stop there. Um, looking forward to, to any questions we we might receive. Well, thanks so much. Uh, yeah, a few questions have come up um, for all of our speakers today. And I'll remind folks who are joining us, if you have questions, you can type those in the chat. Um, so we'll just jump right in. Uh, I think it was Ashley, you mentioned, um, you talked about how CEO helps meet a triple bottom line. I'm wondering if you can just uh, explain that a little bit further. And you're muted. <laughs> Okay, thank you for, for telling me that. Um, yeah, so I, I think what I was trying to get at here is that there's a few things that a, a partnership with CEO can offer. Um, you know, the first thing is that we are taking care of folks, right? So if we are being attentive to people, to the needs of the workforce, helping move people onto their career pathway, attached to the workforce, earn that immediate income. Um, so we know that that has a very real impact on uh, not just the folks who are, are sort of um, directly working for us, but that has an impact on their communities as well. Um, we also understand that that on-the-job training, so to speak, really um, provides that accessible 
entry point that you're not always seeing for individuals. Um, and I think it was Kristen who asked a question about, okay, so you're moving people on to crew, which is great, but then what are you doing to help people move along um, and maybe move into supervisory roles? And so I was able to answer that question and say, we see that pretty regularly, which we're excited about. Um, and then there's that piece around, you know, the fact that we're providing a valuable service to our partners. So we're helping them to meet their staffing needs, make sure the work gets done. And so we just see, you know, a variety of benefits around what our partnerships can offer as it relates to, um, you know, as it relates to funding and, and leveraging existing funding, as it relates to connecting people to the workforce, um, and as it just relates to taking care of our community members. That's something that's really important to us. And I, I hope that uh, probably everyone on this call agrees with that. That's a part of why we're in the work that we do. So I want to talk a little bit more for communities who are just getting started. Um, so any of you as our panelists today can feel free to jump in and answer this question. But how can communities begin to have the discussion about transitional workforce programs such as this one? I mean, I, I can start and then um, hear from the CEO, CEO, um, hear from CEO. So I mean, I think it, de it definitely depends on um, the size of your city or county, but what I would say is starting by um, reaching out to your local Michigan Works Agency. If you're not familiar already, uh, the state of Michigan has, the workforce funds are um, divided into to different areas. I think there's 14 different areas and each of them are led by a Michigan Works Agency that then have a board, like I mentioned, that Workforce Investment Board. In, in our case, um, Detroit is its own area where the, that's the only only um, city in the in the state that is set up that way. So it's a little bit easier to manage because we have one local elected official. There's the you know the board, and then there's Detroit Employment Solutions Corporation. But all of you are part of an area that does include a Michigan Works Agency. And what I would say is that we have really phenomenal leaders at the Michigan Works Agencies in the surrounding, um, across the whole state. We, we meet on a, a regular basis. We actually just had a, a session uh, a few weeks ago with the state, with uh, the Labor and Economic Opportunity Department, talking about transitional jobs. So it's, it's fresh in people's minds right now. We're allowed to use that large source of federal funds for transitional jobs. So there's I think a lot of opportunities to, um, to leverage the wheel of funds that your Michigan Works Agency has with, ideally with you know, the um, revenue that you have for projects that would involve work crews. So I would say, so, you know, start by reaching out to your, the Michigan Works Agency leader. If anyone needs contact information, I'm happy to, to provide that. I believe there's a directory that, that, that we can share. And then you can start that conversation. I think if, you know the, they'll be responsive if they hear from their from local municipalities that there's an interest in that. I think that you know you, there, there's definitely possibility to to pursue that. So I I I think it would be challenging, um, you know, being in a smaller area. You know, if unless you can really you have the resources available to contract with a group like CEO. Where they could, you know, obviously, as you heard, very um, capable of doing this. Of, of doing this, I think Ashley and Pam, you guys would probably say that um, your model also requires additional resources besides, typically, besides the the funds. But I think that I think that would be a good part for. I'll turn it over to you to, to speak to speak more to that. 
Thanks, Michelle. I'll, I'll and just echo everything you said. I would I would also just note there's there's a lot of ways we can be creative, and I think this is actually this is where sometimes um, you know we we it's there's advantage to sort of the the different partnerships that we can bring to the table. For example, you know the SNAP employment and training program Ashley talked about earlier, bringing federal dollars in that can help you know subsidize the costs of of these um, employment and training programs is a great way to keep you know, make resources more manageable. Um, and then from, from the crew services perspective, we've um, we found sometimes, particularly with smaller municipalities, that if there's a need, sometimes there's a similar need in multiple communities that are, you know, near each other. And, and so even if each municipality on its own couldn't cover the cost of the services, kind of sharing a crew and working together is, is something we've done before. And so let's say, you know, one city needs support on a Monday and another on a Tuesday or some two days a week, some three days a week. That's where the fact that, you know, we have a crew model where we have a site supervisor, we have dedicated transportation, we have a lot of flexibility in where we can be um, on a given day. There's some advantage to that. So that's the kind of thing if, if folks were interested, we'd be happy to sort of talk through like, what could that look like and, and how could that maybe support needs at a lower cost? That's super helpful. We have a question that came in directly to us as panelists um, with a smaller community, about 14,000 in population. We've cut staff significantly over the past 10 years and have not hired anyone in a few years. Is there anything that we can do at a minimal cost for our residents who may need help? We would not be able to pay. We do have a part-time community development person. So is this one of those situations in which you might be able to have a conversation with a community like this who would love to utilize these services but might not have you know, enough budget to support that. It's definitely a conversation we could have. And it's, it's maybe an example, like, like when I just mentioned where if there, you know, if there's a limited need, but a similar need in other places, it could be something that could work out for sure. And, and Pam, for that, for that example, I think that came from um, a city pretty close to Detroit. The, the contract that you have with us, the, um, for the, for Fitzgerald, you're not, are you required to hire city of Detroit residents for that? Or is that more flexible? No, for that specific contract, we're required to bring on city of Detroit residents. And, and ideally, we're targeting individuals who are from Fitzgerald neighborhood as well. Okay, but then the FAT plus contract you have, I mean, there's that's federal dollars. And so even though in, you know, in Detroit, we're focused on Detroit, we, we do definitely for, from surrounding areas, see people coming in and benefiting from programs because um, you know, we're required to help anyone for when it's federally funded. Yeah, correct. Um, yes, the SNAP Employment and Training Program is still specific to Wayne County right now, but um, absolutely, as, it's, as Pam mentioned, this is one of the ways that we can help fund our work, generally speaking. And then outside of this, um, the, the CEO model, what I would say, you know, is, again, like I go back to the, the Michigan Works agencies, especially because with the federal stimulus funds coming in, the state also secured some grants. So there's going to be some additional resources coming into all of your communities for workforce development. So it's really important right now to be, especially you know, thinking about how do you help connect your residents to, to job and work and workforce services. This is the time, if you haven't already, to start reaching out to those directors um, because there's absolutely going to be opportunity that, that won't require any, any costs from, uh, from you. So Ashley, Pam, maybe Michelle, where can our members go to learn more information, to dive a little deeper? What do you suggest they start with? 
Yeah. So um, first, always happy to uh, field phone calls, emails. So I popped it in the chat earlier. I think it um, was included in our presentation as well. Um, and maybe Emily, we can work on sending out our contact information as well to all, all attendees. So yeah, please just feel free to reach out if you all have any more questions or you kind of want to think through what a potential partnership could look like. We can start there. Um, uh, oftentimes, when we have groups who are interested, uh, one of those initial conversations might involve us just like putting together a short proposal that helps outline our work and costs associated with, with the scope that we've discussed. And that's kind of a good way for some groups to sit with um, what a partnership might look like. And they can use that proposal to bet with um, their staff or, or, or key stakeholders on their end. So that's, you know, if, if we get to that point, that's one of the first steps that we would work through to Together. And then, of course, just generally speaking, um, I'll pop it in the chat as well, but everyone should be sure to check out our website. It's great. We provide a really thorough overview of our model, who we serve, our evidence. We have a lot of information about uh, how folks can partner with us through crew staffing, through direct hire placements, through training and consulting. So, yeah, I would say um, feel free to reach out to me directly if, if you know you have some questions you want to work through or check out our website. Great. Pam, Michelle, anything to add before we close out today? In terms of, you know, connecting to the Michigan work system that we have a great association with, uh, you know, a, a group that, that leads that. So um, I think that, you know, starting by reaching out to them, they would help you navigate and connect to, to, the, to, the, to the system to learn more. Excellent. And before we close out, we do have one more question that's come in. Um, can a small nonprofit partner with you, CEO? Yeah. Um, yeah, we partner with a variety of, of folks um, that, and, and sometimes we see um, multiple partnerships at once, right? With cities or municipalities and smaller nonprofits. So um, absolutely is, is the answer. And yeah, that came from, yeah, Deb, if you want to reach out, please feel free to do so. Excellent. Well, again, I want to give a huge thank you to Ashley, Pam, and Michelle for joining us today. As a reminder, after the webinar, we will email the PowerPoint presentations. We will email out contact information so you'll all have access to that. In addition, as has been the case with our other webinars, this will be posted in multiple formats for you to review or share. You can find that on our website at www.mml.org. Next up in our event series, we've got our Elected Officials Academy Virtual Core and Advanced Weekender that's happening tonight and tomorrow, April 30th through May 1st. Uh, my events team wrote in my notes that it starts tonight at 5.30 p.m. It's not too late to register in case you haven't already. We've got a Live with the League coming up May 3rd from noon to 1 p.m. Another webinar coming up, Michigan's Lead and Copper Rule, Making Hard to Understand Issues Understandable. That's coming up May 20th, noon to 1 p.m. And then we have our Upper Peninsula Summit, May 13th from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. Stay tuned for more information and other important webinar topics as we continue to provide you with timely updates and resources. Thank you all, and that concludes our session today. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mml.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.